to be looking in Joshua chapter 3 tonight. Joshua chapter 3. And uh, <clears throat> we've heard about burning our bridges behind us. But what if there never was a bridge in the first place? Joshua chapter 3, verse 3. And they commanded the people saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priest, the Levites bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. May God bless the reading of the Word tonight is my prayer. Uh, burning our bridges, but there never was a bridge in the first place. When we're thinking about that expression, usually it means that... Uh, uh, we are making a decision, a choice of some kind, knowing when we make it that there's no going back. And whatever it is that we've decided to do, whatever choice we've made, there'll be no way that what's done can be undone. We've burned our bridges. But you know, when the children of Israel came to the promised land and uh, it was about time to cross over the Jordan River. It was at flood stage, by the way. The story that's before us tonight is the time when God stopped the Jordan River so that the people of Israel were able to cross into the promised land on dry ground, much like they had done when they left Egypt and crossed the Red Sea. As a result of what's going on tonight, there were some things that were never going to be the same. The children of Israel, you see, have been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Uh, I thought about asking tonight for all the 40-year-olds to raise your hand, but I'm not going to do that. I'm, I, I'm not. That's a little sensitive for us. But 40 years. 40 years is a couple of generations has passed. That's long enough. Uh, for one generation to come along and raise up another generation and another. Uh, it's uh, interesting. I've got uh, uh, my oldest daughter will be uh, 40. Don't tell her I told you all that uh, before too much longer, uh, which I don't know which side of that is the most difficult, her side of it or our side of it. The fact we've got a 40-year-old kid. I mean, that's something. You just, uh, life uh, slips away that way. 40 years, 40 years. Uh, that means a lot of those kids had been born in the wilderness and had kids now in the wilderness. They've lived all their lives and never known any other kind of life than having God take care of you all the time, every day, gathering the manna. Next week, figuring out where God is going to get water from this week for all this multitude. I mean, always God providing for them. Never known anything except going to bed at night with the presence of God shining in the sky. Going, waking up every morning with the presence of God in the pillar. They'd never known anything. To them, Egypt was just something distant that their parents talked to them about. What few of them were still around. Well, I kind of heard about it. It's kind of like me, you know, when I'd hear my parents uh, talk about growing up in the aftermath of the Great Depression. 
now they say the Great Depression was over somewhere, you know, it started in 1929, and my parents were born right in the middle of it, but according to them, it seemed to last in South Arkansas at least until about World War II kicked off, somewhere around in there. Uh, and really, that's all they knew. They grew up in hard times, and it got harder, and, and that's all they knew. Always had plenty to eat, uh, had one pair of shoes a year, uh, uh, didn't have electricity. Um, I can hear about those days. Kind of like when I talk to my kids about dialing phones on a rotary dial tone, you know. And You know, we used to have to worry about how long we talked. And mom and dad say, get off the phone. You've been on there long enough. You know, they didn't know anything about not having constant access to the phone and being able to call just about anywhere in the world within reason that they wanted to without having to worry about how long they talked. You know, it was not our experience. It's just something to them that's really unthinkable. Well, they've been in the wilderness all the time. It wasn't all bad. God taking care of them, providing for them. Uh, they didn't have to work a job except the job of survival. Forty years. But now that's behind them. And God's not burning their bridges behind them because he never built a bridge for them in the first place. There's no turning back, no going back. Luke chapter 9 and verse 62, Jesus said unto them, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. And uh, that's something that we associate with preaching for some reason or, uh, or another. Uh, that man that surrenders to preach, we say he's put his hand to the plow and there's no looking back. And that's true, but that's just as true for all the rest of God's people as well. Uh, when we set out to go forward with God, we've put our hand to the plow and we can't do that. You can't plow a straight row while you're looking behind you at what you've already done. Forget about that. That's done. We got to go forward. That's how you plow. Jesus says that apparently he wants straight rows in the kingdom of God. And so he says, I want you with your hands on your plow, looking ahead, taking care of business. Well, there's three things tonight we're going to see in this passage that God shows us when he is moving us in a new direction. When he tells us, I've not led you this way before. And when we're going in that direction, knowing that there's no going back, no turning back. No turning back. Some things we better be sure of. Number one, we need to be sure of God's plan. Be sure of God's plan. Look at verse 7. And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day will I begin to magnify thee in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that, as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. And thou shalt command the priests that bear the ark of the covenant, saying, When you're come to the brink of the water of Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said unto the children of Israel, Come hither and hear the words of the Lord your God. Oh, I love that passage. Come hither and hear the words of the Lord your God. Now, when we think of God's plan for our life, sometimes we think of His providential provisions for us, how God is watching over us, and, and that is perfectly fine. That's exactly as it should be. God does indeed have plans for us. God is watching for us. He sees things that we can't see, but He can see. And so God has indeed plans for us. 
And this text is providing a wonderful story of that, a, a demonstration, if you will, of how God was working uh, to bring them through this time. Uh, verse 1 tells us that Joshua rose up early and led the people to the Jordan. The captains would tell them, you watch the ark and you move when the ark moved. Now the ark was a wooden box. It was covered with gold on the inside and without. It was a symbol of the presence of God among his people. And it pictured both the humanity and the deity of Christ. I don't have time to preach a whole sermon on the ark. We'll save that for another time. But it did picture both his deity and his humanity. And so as uh, it's, the story is playing out then, the priest would bear the ark into the waters of the Jordan, and when the water stopped, <coughs> they would stood, stand in the middle of the river where the water began to pile up on this side. Now, can you imagine a flooding river? Now, the Jordan's not as big as the Arkansas River. If you think about the Arkansas, if you think about the big muddy over here, no, it's not as big as the Mississippi. Uh, the Jordan... Uh, well, if we was in Benton, I'd say it's kind of like the Saline River, uh, but y'all might not know about that. Maybe about like Watonsaw, a good-sized bio, we'd call it here. Uh, but, uh, of course, it rushes uh, pretty hard. Uh, uh, I tell you, there's so much squabbling over the Jordan River waters right, right now. You just have to look it up and see about it. It's, it's, there's very, very little of it that makes it uh, from the, uh, out of Mount Hebron, the, the, the headwaters all the way down to the Dead Sea. But it's not a very, very big, huge river. However, as you well know, even Baumita <laughs> can become a huge, huge body of water when it's flooding. And that's what was going on with the Jordan River. Flood stage. Flooding. Suddenly, the water stops. Has to go somewhere. Piles up. And as the priest bore the ark out into the waters of the Jordan, there was that water piling up behind them. And through it all, the presence of God then was with them. Joshua chapter 3 and verse 17, the priests that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of Jordan. Now that tells you right up front that God is doing a whole lot in this passage because not only did he stop the water, but he got the ground to be dry. <laughs> I can't even get my yard to be dry right now. I, I tell you, walk out there, you sink in up uh, to your ankles in most places, but uh, that just happened just like that. Water stopped, ground dry. People walked across. They passed clean over Jordan, clean over. Uh, that doesn't mean their feet didn't get dirty, okay? That just means they passed all the way over. Verse 18 of chapter 4, And it came to pass when the priests that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord were come up out of the midst of Jordan, and the soles of the priest's feet were lifted up unto the dry land, that the waters of Jordan returned unto their place. And flowed over all his banks as they did before. is a mighty, mighty miracle of God. How would you like to have been one of the priests standing out in the middle of the river? Well, they were comforted by the presence of God. And they did that because they had the word of God. Listen, they had the word of God to command them. They were doing what God told them to do. And so they had the comforting presence of God because they were assured that they were doing what God told them to do. Folks, that same thing plays out in our life. 
I'm not telling you that God is going to talk to us like he talked to Joshua or like he talked to Moses. We have the completed word of God. And in the Bible, then, we are thoroughly furnished unto all good works. But when we look in that Bible and we see that God commands us to do it, the Holy Spirit then convicts us. This is something that we need to do. We have the assurance and we're, we're doing what God has told us to do. And it's comforting because we know God will be with us. And that God will take care of us, regardless of what happens. Our response then is the same as theirs. I'll never leave you, nor forsake you, God says. He was certainly keeping that promise to them, and He still keeps it to us today. His Word and His presence are ever with us, ever leading us, ever helping us. But when we, when we are looking at a decision from which there will be no return, and we know that this is something we have to do. We know there's going to be consequences, and we have to face those consequences. Then it's vital that we make sure that we're listening to God and not resisting Him or just going on our own human impulses. Joshua did not reject God's plan and offer a substitute. The priest did not say, you know what? Instead of wading out there in that flood and river... Why don't we find us a good hill and we'll just overlook this whole thing from up there? Uh, don't you know? I mean, I can follow their logic. We could have this conversation. God, now I know it, you can save this people. You can do this miracle from up there on the hill, just like you did with Moses. Moses didn't have to walk out in the sea. He just stood there and parted, held that rod up. And, shoo, east wind blow. Lord, do it again. There was none of that. None of that. They did exactly what God told them to do. And because they were doing exactly what God told them to do, they were following God, they were obeying God. And let's just get this down in our program tonight. The one thing that it's always worth burning bridges for is God's Word. We're standing on the Word of God, on the will of God, the truth of God. If we have to burn a bridge... Burn it. I have a good friend who uh, uh, works in a uh, tournament bass fishing organization. He has for many, many years. Some while, a while back, they decided they were going to have to start selling alcohol because they needed more business. And so they had these sponsors come in. He told them right up front, if y'all do this, I'm done. He quit his job. He got another one. <laughs> you know, there's some times where you have to make choices and decisions based on our convictions, based on what we know the Word of God teaches, based on what we know is right and what we know is wrong. And we say, well, we got to burn up. If I do that, I'm going to be burning my bridges. Yes. But if we burn our bridges because of God's truth, we're on solid ground. They were then secure in God's power. Hereby, verse 10, you shall know that the living God is among you. <laughs> Isn't that great? You shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail 
Drive out from before you the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Hivites and the Perizzites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Jebusites and any otherites that come around. I mean, we'll get them all. God will not fail. And he is giving you his assurance of that. Now, the significance of what God was doing would be made clearer to them as time went on. Verse 23 of chapter 4, For the Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan from before you until you were passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up from before us until we were gone over, that all the people of the earth, all the people of the earth, might know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, that you might fear the Lord your God forever. See, this wasn't just about the children of Israel. God wanted all the people of the earth to know. And here we are, all these many centuries later, and I'm still preaching about it in Cabot, Arkansas. We're still learning about it, still excited about it. God is doing something amazing and something wonderful, and He wanted everybody to know all about it, and they do. As they began their journey into the promised land, then God made sure that they had this reminder that the living God was still among them, that He is mighty to save, that He would keep His promises to them, and that He was using them as a testimony to the watching world around them. And that's a great thing to happen uh, to a church tonight, that we would know that the living God is among us, that we would know that He is still mighty to save, and that God is working among us, this church, you and me, your family, mine, to make us a testimony to the lost world around us. Isn't that a great thing? Still doing it. That's why Simon Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 6, Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. It can be scary when we're passing over into new territory and we know that we can't go back when life is changing or situations are changing, when we make a stand for God knowing that there's going to be some consequences to that, when God leads us in a way that he says, like he said to the children of Israel, you've not passed this way before. He had the ark out in front of them almost a half a mile so that they would understand they could see it. They'd have time then to plan their way so that they could go in the way that God was leading them to go. But in the end, it was all the same. You've not passed this way before. You haven't gone this way before. And when you're traveling in that kind of direction and you're burning your bridges, as it were, behind you, if there never was a bridge in the first place, You need to make sure that God is with you and that you're following him very carefully. And God gave them that assurance. And the last thing we see tonight is their surrender. How they surrendered to God's purpose for them. Give you a little background on what happened. God required them as they were going uh, in this direction uh, to take those 12 stones. Take 12 stones. They got 12 men. They were going to take 12 stones out of the river. Where the men, the priests were standing with the ark, these 12 men, one from every tribe of Israel, would take one of those stones, and they would carry it with them. And they were going to erect then a stone pillar wherever they stayed for the night. turns out to be in Gilgal. And and, uh, then you'll look, if you'll look in chapter 4 and verse 9, you'll see that Joshua did something else. Joshua told them to set up a, a pillar of stones out there in the middle of the Jordan River. And apparently they did that too. 
So they had one that they built over, over here where they lodged for the night. They put one out in the middle of the river. And he spoke unto the children of Israel, saying, When your children shall ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean these stones? Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel came over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan from before you until you were passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up from before us until we were gone forever. These were stones of remembrance. Something incredible had happened here. God had done something amazing for his people. And he wanted them to make sure that this was a story that would be told and told and told and told again. And we can understand why he would put the one over on Gilgal and make it the way they did, carry the stones up out of the Jordan River. You say, must have been some strong men. Hey, you know, God has a history of doing some great things with, with stones. I, I know a, a giant that he took down with a, with a rock and uh, it doesn't give me any big ideas that uh, God could empower these men to carry that stone, however big they were, for a long way. Uh, I mean, after all, he dried up the river, uh, dried up the riverbed so they could walk across. It's not a big thing. He'd give 12 men the power to carry some big rocks. Uh, but they did. They carried them. They carried them to Gilgal, set them up there. But then also they put those out there in the middle of the river in the middle of the river. Um, you see, the, the, the river wouldn't stay flooded for long. Wouldn't always be at flood stage. They'd set up those stones out there in the middle of the river and they'd come washing right back on them. But it would not stay that way. Sooner or later, the water would recede. The waters would go down. It would go back to its normal size. And those stones out in the middle of the river then would be a constant reminder. There was a time when that river was dry as a bone. The time when you could walk across it because God dried it up at flood stage for his people. See those stones right there? Go out there and look at them. Wait over there and take a look. Go over there at Gilgal. You'll see they're the same kind of rocks from the same place. God calls us to put up a memorial, not one but two. And both of them, and he said it not one time but several times in the text. This is what you're doing, so when your children ask you, what is this? You can tell them. And your children's children. And right on down the line. There's times in our life, maybe when you and I need to set something up around our house. Maybe take our kids on a journey. You want to take them sometime to the place maybe where you got saved. Maybe it was like me and it was in an old house that isn't there anymore, but I could take them about to the spot. And I say, oh, somewhere right about in here. 
where I knelt down and asked Jesus to save me. Take him over to this other place. Yeah, I was sitting right here under this oak tree when I surrendered to preach. Told God I'd do it. It's 14 years old. That's at Bog Springs, by the way. I was, I was sitting right over here, by the way, when I, I got a crush on your mama. <laughs> that was at Bog Springs, too. Uh, uh, she was dating somebody else at the time, the ripe old age of 14. But, you know, things happen along those teenage lives. And he moved on, and we've been married ever since. That's a good story. Yes, I've told my kids. There are many other stories in my life and your life. It doesn't hurt anything. In fact, it's very helpful. For us to take them to a place. Let them hear a testimony. Of what God has done. Maybe it was standing by bedside. When you prayed and asked God. To heal them. And he saved their life. Pillar stones. Tell your children. And your children's children. Make sure they know the story of what God has done. How would this play out for the children of Israel? Well, well, you see, son, those stones are a reminder that God guarded us while we were in the wilderness. We all could have died. Many people did. But God could, took care of us, and he, he brought us through. He gave us food so we didn't starve, and water so that we didn't die of thirst. God took care of us. He guarded us in the wilderness. He guided us. We could have lost our way, maybe never found that. But God led us. And while he was feeding us, he was also leading us. While he was guarding us, he was also guiding us. And then there came that time, son, when God got us out of there. And he told us to put up these stones out here in the river and another pile just like them up there at Gilgal to remind us that we should never go back to what God got us out of. You bring your kids here someday. You tell them the same thing. God guarded us. He guided us. He got us out. No turning back. No turning back. Now, you know the rest of the story, even without listening to Paul Harvey. You've read and you know how this story plays out. It'd be wonderful if we could say, you know, well, these people, once they crossed the Jordan River, that was it. Man, the wilderness experiences were behind them. They never thought about Egypt or Egypt's gods anymore. They never turned back to idolatry. It was a time of faithfulness right up until uh, that's not the story. That's not the story. I think from time to time, maybe God had to take them back to that pillar of stones. And remind them. <clears throat> and again and again and again. That if it wasn't for him. They'd have died in the wilderness. If it wasn't for him. 
They wouldn't have anything that they have. Those are some good things for us to remember as well. Aren't you glad tonight that God God has guarded you? Aren't you glad that God has guided you? Aren't you glad that God has got you out? No turning back. No turning back. Let's stand together, please.